around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Good evening, friends. Pastor David Langford here. We'd like to welcome each of you today to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Monday, July the 12th, 2021, and we welcome each of you today, and we trust that the voice of evangelism will be a blessing to you in some small way. We thank you for your faithful love, prayers, and support for the ministry here. We do not take for granted your spiritual and accessory prayers for this ministry. I know that prayer is laborious. It takes effort to pray and to seek the face of God. It's easy to put off prayer. It is easy to say, well, I'm tired. I've got other things to do and walk away and not spend that time in prayer. But my friend, that's what makes the difference in your life and makes the difference in my life is our willingness to be obedient and have a devotion and a time set aside to pray and seek God. This is what it's going to take to have the grace and the strength to endure until the end. And we're going to need grace in the coming days for our lives personally. I do want to remind you of the TV ministry uh, because we are teaching from Matthew chapter 24 on the national television platform. You can watch the voice of evangelism on Christian Television Network. Now we're on direct television, channel 376. We come on at 10 o'clock Tuesday nights, 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon. Again, that's 10 p.m. Tuesday nights and 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon on Christian Television Network on direct television. That is channel 376. If you have the DISH Network, the times are the same, 10 o'clock Tuesday night, 3 p.m. Saturday evening. Your channel is 267, channel 267. So if you have DISH or Direct, you can get the television program. Also, we're on the Word Network, Word Network. Now, that is on all the cable stations throughout the United States. I... I uh, don't know what cable that you have, but the times are 11.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights and 2 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Again, that's 11.30 p.m. Wednesday night and 2 a.m. Saturday morning. Those will be a blessing to you. I do want to make mention today as well, our upcoming revival meeting at Heritage USA in Fort Mill, South Carolina, September the 30th through October the 3rd. I'll be ministering, Russ Dizdar, Jimmy D. Smith, most of you have probably never heard, Paul Jacobs, he will be there ministering, and then we're going to have another speaker yet to be determined. Now, I want to encourage you to come and be a part 
of these revival meetings. I know we've gone through COVID. People have quit attending church. They've quit a lot of things. I hope and I pray we have enough interest in this meeting to have success and to have another one. We need to have fellowship in the Holy Ghost. We need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we all need to come together. There is power and unity. I love Acts 4.31, which says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were all assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. That's the kind of move of God I'm praying for and believing God for in these revival meetings. And I need your attendance. I need your support. I need you to come. And I believe you'll be blessed and you can receive such a deluge, such a freshet of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, it can carry you for weeks, if not months, until we have the next meeting. And therein God will show up again and bless when we sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart, and we gather in his most holy name. Uh, again, we're at Heritage USA. Uh, they have about 100 motel rooms there, and we invite you to register there for your motel room. They have three different types, types of rooms. Uh, of course, each one is a little higher than the other, but there's no tax because Heritage USA is a nonprofit organization. So there's no taxation on your room. So you'll save uh, a good bit of money right there. We've reduced the registration fee to $75 because Brother William, William Jackson has been so gracious to the ministry to help to defray the cost. So we've already, through his generosity, been able to cut the price 25%. Now, I'm believing God for a great turnout. And as the ministry grows, our goal is to just tell you the place and give you the dates and show up. We just want you to register for the sake of knowing what size of building we need to have to cover uh, the, the congregation, the attendees. So pray with me, believe with me that God will continue to bless so that we can absorb the entire cost. And believe you me, it costs to do these meetings. As I said, just the building alone down there is $9,000, not counting audio, video, honorariums, motel rooms for the speakers, et cetera, et cetera. And again, I don't take anything. I trust God for my own personal needs. I'm there to serve, there to minister, and to do the work of God. So please, if you haven't already registered, go and register and be a part of this great, great move of God that I believe we're going to experience. Because as I said, we're going to need this move of God in the coming days. Uh, you see the price of oil is already going up. It's already into the 70-some dollars a barrel. Their goal and, and inflation together, they want $100 a barrel oil. We're all going to suffer because of the economic trickery and chicanery that our government has pervaded upon the American populace. Deutsche Bank from Germany said the other day, America needs to prepare for some hyperinflation. 
That's another country, another bank in another country, but says we need to prepare for inflation. And it's already here. It is already here, and it's going to get worse. Please, as I've told you months and months ago, whatever you use daily, purchase it because it's only going to go up in price tomorrow, and you're saving money. Inflation is a taxation. Inflation is a taxation. It's just something that you don't see. You can't see it. But you go to the store, and you pay $3 for gas a gallon. Gas does not change. The dollar it takes to purchase the same gas is what's changing. And the next time you go to buy it, it's $3.50 or $4 a gallon. That's a 25%. If it goes to $4 a gallon, that's a 25% inflation. Your, your salary is not going up 25% at a time. But that's what happens. And there's nothing there that you can obviously see. It just demands more dollars to pay for the same gallon of gas. That is called inflation. Uh, a pound of hamburger, $3. You go back to buy it, $4. What changed? Nothing. Hamburger's the same. Beef, cattle are the same. It's the dollar's purchasing power is being lost more and more every day. And it takes more dollars out of your pocket. And that's why it's called inflation. But it's a hidden tax. What do you get for it? Nothing. You don't get any more hamburger. You don't get a dollar, I mean, a gallon and a half of gas. You still get the same old gallon. So it's changing. And that's why we need to be very good and wise stewards over what God has placed in our hands. And if we use it judiciously and wisely, God will protect us. That's right. God will protect us and guard us if we continue to do the right thing. You know, I always find it amazing uh, when, when inflation strikes, because I remember the Jimmy Carter days. You know, I always ask myself the question, why don't we see the increase in tithes and offerings as we witness inflation and everything else? Because people struggle to trust God for their needs because they say, I need more money to pay the bills. But God does not change. Isn't it amazing? God set a, a, a number, 10% and offerings, and he's never changed. God has never changed since the days of Abraham. Wouldn't it be great if mankind and our government did not change on a whim or caprice? We're going to go into Romans chapter 6 today. I hope you're enjoying the teaching series. I'm getting a lot of positive comments. Many of you are beginning to understand your works do not save you. You're beginning to grasp the whole impetus and reason behind this teaching. Your works do not save you. You only have works because you are saved. And the comments I'm receiving from many people is very positive because they're now beginning to understand that. You know, even in the Great Tribulation, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and through the words of their testimony. Your works will not give you victory over Satan. It's what Jesus did on the cross 
that will give you victory over Satan. You have to believe in what Jesus did. I said you have to believe in what Jesus did and not what you've done. You see, if salvation comes through works, Christ died in vain. I said if salvation comes through works, Christ died in vain. And that's one of the great errors in denominationalism. People get saved, but then they attach all of these works, and they believe these works somehow save them. Romans 4, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you believe your works saved you, you're not believing in the grace of God. So you still have the debt of sin. But to him that worketh not, Romans 4, verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, Jesus, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. All of this is by faith in what Jesus did. So your works um, are, are something after salvation. Salvation is first. Salvation is first. And because you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, now you produce works because the righteousness of God lives in you, thus your works become righteous deeds and righteous works. And those works are because you are saved. They have nothing to do with salvation in any capacity. Again, Romans 4, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, those that do not base their salvation on their works, but believeth on Jesus that justifieth the ungodly, the sinner, the wicked. His faith is counted for righteousness. Boy, that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful that Jesus paid it all. This morning when I was praying or reading my Bible, first of all, before I began to pray, I was rereading here in Romans chapter 4 and and, and, and I got reminded of a revelation I've got probably two, three, four, five years ago when sitting out on the porch reading the Bible one day. But Romans chapter 4, verse 11. I know we're supposed to be in Romans 6 right now, but I want to show you something. I want to show you something that is so glorious in what Jesus did. And many people failed to see it. They failed to understand it. But I'm trying to bring you to another state and place in Christ. Romans 4:11. And he received the sign. Let's go to verse 10. Romans 4, verse 10. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision? Now, I know that sounds redundant, and you're saying, well, that, that's a little bit confusing. Let me read it again. Romans 4, verse 10. How was it then reckoned? How do you reconcile this? That's what Paul is saying. When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. In other words, after circumcision or before circumcision. 
not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. It's, it's redundant, I know, but Paul is trying to get us to understand something. Let me give you the heads up a little early. Abraham was saved while he was uncircumcised. And if he, if he was saved before he was circumcised, Paul says, or Paul says, how much more is he saved after circumcision? Because circumcision was about covenant. Let's look at verse 11, Romans 4, 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. I want you to get that. He had faith in Elohim, Jehovah, before he was ever circumcised. Before he ever did anything fleshly relative to works. How do we know? Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he, Elohim, counted it to him for righteousness. He believed in God under the auspices of uncircumcision, just like you and I as Gentiles. Looking again at Romans 4, verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, a confirmation, an assurance, a down payment of righteousness of the faith. His faith bought this for him. This faith gave this to him. I shouldn't use the word bought. This faith gave this to him. He didn't buy anything. Poor choice of words on my part. His faith gave him salvation of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. He wasn't circumcised yet, but he was already saved because he had faith in the coming Messiah. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. You got to remember, Abraham was saved, redeemed, forgiven, justified before he was circumcised. Again, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now time passes by. What happens? Genesis 17, verse 10. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. This is what allows Abraham to be the father of the Jews and the father of the Gentiles because Abraham played both roles in circumcision. Firstly, he was saved by faith, but he was still uncircumcised. Are you seeing this? Circumcision, quote-unquote, made him a, a Jew per se. But then God says, I want to establish the righteousness that I've made with you through a new covenant called circumcision. And all must be, uncircum must be circumcised. Because Abraham was uncircumcised before 
circumcision, he was already saved. This is, this is clearly telling us works do not save you. He was saved before he was circumcised, Genesis 15, 6. But then God brings him into a, a deeper covenant, the covenant of circumcision, Genesis 17 and 10, where all of Abraham's seed must be circumcised. Now, Gentiles today in the dispensation of the church, our heart, the foreskin of our heart is circumcised. I hope you're getting this because this is, this is deep theologically, trying to get you to see Abraham played both parts, uncircumcision and circumcision. To show that Paul understood this so clearly, we, we grapple, as Christians, we grapple to understand all of this. I know we do because I do. But as God reveals to me nuggets, I will share them with you. But we know Abraham played both parts just by the scripture text in Genesis 15 and 6 and Genesis 17 and 10. But watch this. Galatians 3.29, And if ye are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. See, the, 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 the church now the, at Galatia, you're talking to Gentiles. But you got the Judaizers who are saying, no, you can't be saved unless you be circumcised. And Paul is saying, wait a minute. Look at Abraham. Your forefather was saved and uncircumcised. But it was another dispensation, another covenant, a deeper covenant. And establishing the righteousness of God through an outward act or an outward work. But he was already saved. And this is why it disturbs me. When I see so many people going around teaching and preaching, see, they don't, they don't even understand what, I, what I've just shared with you. Most, you say, well, you're, you're acting pompous today. No, I'm not. I'm trying to get you to understand Abraham played both roles as being uncircumcised and then becoming circumcised, but he was saved while uncircumcised. Yes. Because God had not introduced that to him yet. This is where religious people get in trouble. Well, I've done this and I've done that. I don't care what you've done. Uh, it doesn't, if you've climbed Mount Rushmore or whatever, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. Because works play no role in our salvation. Works play a role in that we are redeemed, we are saved, we are cleansed, we are forgiven of our sins. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The point the Apostle Paul is making here is that grace is always greater than sin. I want you to get that. Grace is always greater than sin. Why is that? Grace is about redemption. Sin is about destruction. We're all going to be destroyed without grace. We're all going to be damned without grace. So grace is always greater than sin. Here's the problem with many Christians. They take that verse just like the Romans did and like the Galatians did. 
Oh, we've got a license to sin. That's one of your fallacies in some doctrine. Well, my past, present, future sins are already forgiven. Your future sins also must be confessed. If you don't confess your sins, unconfessed sin separates men from God. And that's why every day I ask God if there's anything that I've said or done, just like this morning, all I've done is pray and read my Bible and come in here and start ministering the Word of God. I've not had a chance to sin. It is one thing to live a life of perpetual sin and transgressions. It is another to occasionally miss the mark. We, we, we don't live lives of sin. The Romans were saying, we're going to live in sin that grace might abound the much more. Paul said, God forbid. If you live like that, you never crucify your flesh. If you live like that, you are never a vessel of honor that is sanctified and meet for the master's use. If you live like that, the Holy Spirit cannot flow through you fluidly as God wills. He flows through you. Why? Sin is a contamination. And the Holy Spirit of God will not stay in a filthy, immoral, unclean vessel. He will take flight. He will leave. Now, he will stay there and deal with you. But if you override the Holy Spirit of God over a period of time, you'll begin to believe a lie. You'll begin to do things that you think are all right, too. But they're not. That's self-justification. Many Christians become deceived and corrupt because they believe they can live a life of sin and grace will take care of it. That's the problem with the church at Rome and the church at Galatia. Oh, we're going to sin. That grace might abound. Paul said, God forbid, stop that. Stop that lifestyle. Galatians 5 and 13, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto freedom. Only use not this liberty or this freedom for an occasion to the flesh or for an opportunity to sin through the flesh. Don't use this and sin and say, yeah, boy, I sinned a great sin that grace might abound even more. No, 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 no. God forbid. Paul says, God forbid. This liberty, this freedom that we have in Christ is the new foundation upon which the believer stands. I am able to stand and be victorious fundamentally through two methods, two, two, two means. What Jesus did on the cross, and I put my faith in that. Jesus paid the debt through his vicarious, efficacious work on the cross, his life. Now I put my faith in that. When I put my faith in that, I have no guilt. I have no condemnation whatsoever. Because I'm free from the guilt through justification and what Jesus did. 
I am not guilty. Now, the truth is, we are all terribly, terribly guilty. But when you are justified, you are no longer found guilty. You're just, holy, free, innocent. How can that be, preacher? Because of what Jesus did. We don't understand how the Father is magnified, glorified, lauded, and extolled through what Jesus did on the cross. See, Jesus wanted to bring all the glory to the Father. John 14, 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. You see, God the Father gets such glory out of what Jesus did. You think the Father gets glory because you paid your tithes. You think God the Father gets glory because you prayed a prayer. You think the Father gets glory because you got baptized. Uh, you think God gets glory because you fasted three days. You're missing the whole point. God the Father becomes glorified through what Jesus did on the cross because when he sees us, there's, a, there's an old gospel song saying years ago, I'd never hear it anymore, when he sees me, he sees me through the blood. He sees me through the blood. When God the Father looks down to humanity and he looks at David Wren Lankford, he looks at me. He, he has to look through Christ before he sees me. Now, he can see me without Christ. That's how he sees all men that are sinners without God. And he sees they're corrupt. He sees they're vile. He sees they're wicked. He sees they're heinous. Psalm 711, God is angry with the wicked every day. But to the redeemed, how can God see me justified? How can God see me redeemed? Because when he sees me, he sees me through the work that Jesus did on the cross. Now I'm covered in the blood. Now I'm redeemed. I am justified, not by my works of righteousness, but by what he did, Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to say this. It angers people, but I can't help it. You have those three dimensions in the tabernacle, outer court, holy place, holy of holies. Most people regrettably live in the outer court. When the natural sun goes down, you're in the dark. You have no more light. Why? You're in the outer court. You see, all of this is, is profound. It's our responsibility, our job to understand these things and search these things out. See, God has secrets. I read my Bible, and I'm like, wow, what a revelation. What, what an understanding. As I said to you just a few moments ago, Abraham played both roles. you got to get that. He was saved but he was uncircumcised. He was saved, then he got circumcised. But he was saved in both state and both places of his life. It's like being saved and now going into a deep, deeper experience in receiving the baptism in the Holy Ghost 
speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance. You're saved. But that's another dimension. That's another level. And we have so many people who think, oh, I got the Holy Ghost. I've got it all. No, you don't. You've barely scratched the surface. You, you, you have barely gone deeper with God. Oh, you've gone a little deeper. But, but you haven't gone to the fullness of that depth. You see, it's my responsibility to take you deeper in the Word. If I'm not going deeper, I can't take you deeper. You've heard me say this. No preacher can take you somewhere where he's never been himself. I get lambasted. I get castigated for the things I say, the things I teach, the things I preach. You know why I get castigated? They disagree with me. But you know why they disagree with me? They don't know, neither do they understand what I know and what I understand. People will lambast me because I quit being a pre-tribber. I'm a post-tribber. You see, I understand where the error was because I sought God to get the truth. I have asked God to take me deeper, and, and, and he's laid on my heart to teach the, these chapters, Romans 5, 6, and 7, to take you deeper in understanding when you read this stuff, what does it mean? What does it mean? I was thinking the other day, you know, people say, well, we should teach the whole book of Revelation. And I've told you, it would take me years, and I would get bogged down because I don't just run over it, you know, Lightly, I, I, I exegete, I dig it up, I, I, I turn everything over, I look, I see, I want to find. Same way here in Romans. You, you've got so much superficial Christianity. I'm not saying these people are not saved, but they're not where they need to be in Jesus. They stay in the outer court. God says, come on, come on. And, and you heard me say this some weeks ago, I believe. You get into the holy of holies, there's no bread, there's no water, there's no natural light from the menorah, the, the candle, the golden seven candlesticks, there's no altar of incense. There's nothing back there but God. See, this is where God wants you to go. I remember when God showed that to me 26 years ago, <laughs> over a quarter of a century. There are those who are approaching me now saying, I'm just now getting what you got a quarter of a century ago. You see, we, we want to stay in our comfort zone. We want to stay where, well, I understand this, I'm not going any further. All great discoveries are made because men chose to go a little further in what they were doing. Whether Columbus finding the new world, America, whether a, 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 a gold digger, dug until he found another vein and a bigger vein, a larger vein. Discovery, discovery, that's a legal term. Discovery in affidavits, in manuals, in material, discovery. You and I have not discovered some of the things God wants us to discover because we don't go on. You know, we, we get a little nugget, oh, I got a revelation. Well, That'll last me for the next two years. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep pursuing God. Now, once you begin to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, very studious, guilt and condemnation just naturally falls from you. Why? 
You're doing what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13, 14. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You've got to forget the past, your past failures, your past mistakes, your past errors, your past sins, but you've got to get into a place in Christ that you don't live like that. Now that you do as Paul, he said, I forget those things and I reach forth. I'm reaching forth to get greater things, deeper things, more powerful things. I want to understand the word of God greater than I understand it today. I want to understand it greater tomorrow. Not just today, but tomorrow. I was talking to Jimmy Smith over the weekend and I said, you know, the word of God is just, man, I'm loving it more as I get older. He said, me too. I'm loving it more too. Why? If you spend time, God will allow a hunger and a thirst to be created in you. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled they shall be filled. You hunger, you thirst for God's righteousness. He said, I'll fill you. Now, how does God fill us? By showing us the deeper things in the scriptures, taking us to another level. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. Now, I only quoted that to address the fact of condemnation, which is a type of guilt. As I sit here today, I have no guilt. Surely you got to feel guilty about something. No, I don't. I don't have any guilt. Why? There is therefore now no condemnation, condemnation in them that walk after Christ, pursue Christ, seek Christ, love Christ, hunger for Christ, long for Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, maybe it's because I'm getting older and in my physicality is waning. I'm, I'm less able to walk in the flesh, more able to walk in the Spirit. See, this is what God wants. He wants you to be spiritually minded. He wants you to read his word and understand the deeper things of God. Why? So you can move on. People will say, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. You've been going through the first grade Christianity for 50 times. Move to the second grade, the third grade, the fourth grade, the fifth grade. Go deeper. Go deeper. Let the Spirit of God engulf you because the Spirit, Paul said, will search the deep things of God. This is the problem with denominationalism. Yeah, I'm going to hammer it. I know some of you don't like it. Some of you resent it. That's all right with me. I was third generation church of God. 
I'm like Paul. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day uh, as touching the law as a Pharisee. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He went through a litany of what he used to be. He said, but I suffered the loss of all that, and I count it but dung, manure. Why? That I might know Jesus. All that stuff is manure. <laughs> Boy, that's making some of you people who are devoted to your denomination. He's calling my denomination manure. I said, no, I didn't. He counted those things as dung, and he suffered the loss. Take that away from me. He said, all that is is a, is, a, is a loss in my life. I won't gain. I won't profitability in my life. I, these things were lost to me. They, did you know these things can keep you from being where you need to be in Jesus? These things that you you elaborate, you think, I do this, I do that, I keep this, I keep that. That, that, that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. But your denomination told you that is the thing. No, it's not the thing. Is Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. If baptism is so great, why didn't Paul do it? He said, he didn't send me to baptize. He didn't send me to preach baptism. He sent me to preach the cross. What, what is so hard to understand? What is important and what is not important? That was the Jew, Gentiles, excuse me, the Jews. Circumcision, circumcision, circumcision. Paul said, you got it all wrong, guys. This is why Paul, again, Paul's mind had to be that of a, of a, a hundred thousand volume encyclopedia because of the abundance of the revelations were given to him. He saw things, he understood things. See, God gave him the understanding. Luke 24, 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. God opened Paul's mind. I was reading someone the other day, I forget who it was, believes that there were two to three years that possibly it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that tutored and nurtured Paul in the Holy Ghost and gave him this vast knowledge of the whole plan of salvation and of redemption. And I'm, I'm now at 66 years of age, I'm just now starting to scratch the surface. You know, if a scale of one to a trillion, Paul was at a trillion, I'm at the number one. Just, just now, starting to get it. Now, wise and mature enough to teach it and to tell you, you got to put your faith in what Jesus did. Quit putting your faith in what men tell you to do. What does God say? I love that phrase in John 14, 27. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth unto you, but my peace. My, my, Jesus was said, I'm giving you a part of justification now. I'm on my way to the cross. You're going to have peace with God through what I do on the cross. That's how you're going to get this peace. I'm going to give you a measure of it. But the fullness of it comes through the finished work on the cross. Now, watch this. Even though Christ was crucified and died on the cross, it wasn't completely fulfilled. It wasn't completely finished. 
You say, well, that's contradictory. Jesus said it is finished. Yes, the price had been paid. Sin's debt had been paid. But if Christ had not raised from the dead, none of this would be meaningful. None of this would be meaningful. That's why the resurrection is so dynamic and so great. There had to be a resurrection. Remember, I've quoted it time and time again, uh, Hebrews 9, 16, 17, for where a testament is, there of uh, necessity must also be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So Christ had to physically die to finish the work of salvation. But oh, the great thing is he was raised from the dead to carry out, to assure what he has done is fulfilled. And when preachers preach the word of God, they are confirming, they are testifying to what Jesus did was the finished work because he is raised from the dead. I was sitting on the couch last night and I was talking to my wife and I quoted 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You've heard me quote that before. If my only hope in this life is Jesus, we're the most miserable people in the world, all of us Christians. But we don't have hope in this life only. We have hope in the next life. You see, Paul could grasp and understand hey, this is just such a small part of who and what I am. This is such a, a minuscule part of who I am. I am I'm eternal. I'm an eternal being. And if in this life only I have hope in Christ, he said, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, we put our faith in something that's only good for now. If it's only good for now, it's useless. It's worthless. But it's not just good for now. It's after we die. See, Christians don't really die. They just go to sleep. They just go to sleep. Their body's asleep in the grave. Their soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. They, they never cease to exist. They're always living. Now, the sinner, he dies. But if he dies in sin, he's alive, but he is separated from God. There's no life in him, meaning eternal life, saving life, forgiven, redeemed, justified. He doesn't have that because he did not accept what Jesus did on the cross. Too interested in living his own life, living his own way, doing what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And this is why as a minister, I'm always telling God, I did not call you you call me. You make it you make it work. You make it you make it happen. You open the doors, I'll walk through them. I cannot do this as a as a mere man. I must have your touch. You see, God, Paul reiterates that time and time again, especially in Romans 3. He said, God is no respecter of persons. How do you get things from God? by getting intimate with him, by getting close to him, by, by immersing yourself in the word. Now, I'm going to be very honest here. The things I'm teaching and preaching right now, I wasn't skilled, I wasn't wise enough, I wasn't mature enough 10 years ago to teach this. 
I wasn't. I say that because it's the truth. I admittedly understand I did not have the spiritual skills and the spiritual knowledge and understanding to teach some things. I, I question why there's a lack of growth in the church, but I understand why. I question it, but I also understand it. It's not you. It's guys like me. It's these pulpiteers who don't know Jack. That's why I call them Jack legs. They don't know Jack. They don't know anything because they don't, they're not in the closet. They're, they're, they're not in the secret chamber with God and praying and pleading out to God. They're superficial Christians. They are outer court Christians. They claim to be, oh, so spiritual. I'm still concerned about all the prophecies that were given and yet unwilling to say. Now, there were some, admittedly, there were some men who said, I was wrong and I'm sorry. They've been irreparably damaged and harmed. And there are others who just go on and act like nothing was ever done wrong. Don't keep listening to false prophets. Don't do it. You see, I've come to understand this. I told you I learned a lot about myself. These false prophets, I'm going to say something here, and this may offend some of you. What they prophesy appeals to your flesh. Let me say that again. What they prophesy appeals to your flesh. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. You see, I learned this through this debacle. God is the righteous judge. He'll deal with it in due time. I do pray at times in precatory prayers. But the point is, false prophecies tend to appeal to your flesh, not your spirit. See? And we we, we, we got to move on to the deeper things of God. We, we, we got to quit staying at the shallow end of the pool. We got to go further. We got to go deeper. We, we, we've got to go into the deep things of God and, and quit living in the outer court. Move with God. When the pillar of fire or the cloud stood still, God said, You stand still. When the pillar of fire or the cloud moves, you move with me. You go with me. See, God is doing something right now. Now, in the natural, it, it doesn't look good. We're getting ready to see some, some, some ugly stuff. I, I still maintain there's going to be some uh, computer glitch error somewhere, somehow, that's going to affect us terribly for a, 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 a period of time, negatively affect us. You got all these jack legs running around, you know, about this, writing this and writing that and saying this and saying that. Let me remind you, come September, it will have been 20 years since 9-11. There are those who are always, this is the end, this is it, it's over with, it's, it, we're here at it. And I keep saying, 
As long as the earth remains, seed time, harvest time, winter, spring, summer, and fall, night and day, heat and cold. I, I, that's, I, that, I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says in Genesis 8 and 22. That's not David Langford. That's what God said. I'm going to believe God over men. That doesn't mean we're not going to have earthquakes and volcanic ash and different things. Again, he said, endure until the end. We've got to go through all of this. We've got to get through every bit of this stuff. If we live until Christ returns, we're going to see some ugly stuff. I'm not minimizing that. I think so many times about the early church. Man, look at what they suffered. And I... I, 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 I see the men who say, I just don't understand why God let, will let the church go through great tribulation. Then answer the question, why did God let the early church suffer the way it suffered? Are we any better? They were beheaded. They were crucified. They were chained. They were shackled. They were put in dungeon and prisons. The Bible tells us all of this in, in Hebrews chapter 11. They, they suffered terribly. Why did God let Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be put in the fiery furnace? Why was Daniel put in the den of lions? Why, why all of these things? It shows who we are and it shows who God is. Because God let those things happen, but yet his men, his women, they overcame all of that. They, these things didn't stop these people. When Haman was trying to destroy Israel, Mordecai told Esther, for a time such as this, this ain't about a beauty contest, ma'am. This ain't about how good you look. This is about the survival of the nation of Israel. You, you got to understand this. For a time such as this, he said, and God gave her favor with the king. They changed the decree, the laws, and Israel could defend themselves the Jews could defend themselves, and they were never attacked because of the decree that was made because you couldn't change the decrees once they were made. But they gave a counter-decree to stop what Haman wanted to be done. So many times, I'm going to close today, God brings us to the precipice. He brings us to the Red Sea. And, and the question is, will you still believe? Will you still believe God while you're at the Red Sea? And there's that beast of an ocean and the Egyptian army on the other side, and you have nowhere to go. God, help us. All God said to Moses was, stretch forth your hand. Just stretch forth your hand. God, was in Moses' hand, and Moses was in the hand of God. When you put the two together, there will be great, great, great spiritual, spiritual success. That's what, my friend, I am looking for. I pray today that here in Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 and Genesis 15 and 6 and 17 and 10, you got a plethora of revelation knowledge and that Abraham played both roles, one man. He was uncircumcised, he became circumcised, but he was saved on both parameters, both sides, he was saved. 
because our salvation is not based on our works. Our salvation is what Jesus did, and we believe. We believe in what he did. And again in Galatians 3, 29, if we are Christ, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. What? He's the seed of the Jews. He's the seed of the Gentiles. To the Jews, it was physical. To the Gentiles, it was spiritual. And then when God in uh, uh, Ephesians 2 and 15 brings all this together, he's going to make one new man in Christ Jesus. All of this will come to fruition through Jesus in the end. And that's why we've got to keep our faith fixed only in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. For to make it himself, to make it himself of twain, one new man, so making peace. My, my, my. How great, how rich is the knowledge of God. I'm so glad he lets us, if we want to, he lets us know greater, richer, more far-reaching things than we presently know. If, if we want to go into the presence of God and say, Lord, reveal to me, show me, open my heart, open my mind to the deeper, deeper things of God, and God will do that. Again, please register for our upcoming revival meeting. September the 30th through October the 3rd. I want to see you. I want to worship with you. I want to praise God with you. I want to pray for you. Hug your neck and shake your hand. Please go to our website and register. And let's believe God for a great, great revival. September the 3rd through October the 3rd. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.